you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Friday, October 20th, 2023, the Feast of St. Artemis. Actually, I think it's pronounced Artemius, but Artemis sounds cooler. So, whoops. St. Artemius. He was a commander in the Imperial Army under Constantine, or Constantine, during the time of Emperor Julian the Apostate. Now, if you couldn't tell from his name, Julian was, in fact, a Catholic, and he apostatized from the faith and became a pagan. <coughs> he is actually the one who tried to rebuild the temple and was destroyed by God. So, fun facts there. <laughs> he was, Julian instituted a severe persecution against faithful Catholics, and he tortured many. During this time, he condemned priests Eugene and Marcarius and St. Artemius, spoke out against this persecution. He was a high dignitary and a governor of Egypt and Syria, and he confronted Emperor Julian during the spectacle in a Roman amphitheater. You know, it's typically not a good idea to call out your boss in front of everybody at a Roman amphitheater. Uh, typically, it's a not a good idea. But in his case, it was a holy and just worthy act. He warned Julian of being used by Satan against the church, and he explained the futility of persecuting Christians as Satan's power was broken by Christ's crucifixion. The emperor, angered by St. Artemius, his words, ordered his arrest. This event marked a significant moment of confrontation between a faithful Catholic and a persecuting emperor. St. Artemius noted that the church was undergoing a chastisement due to the Arian heresy. Many bishops had become Arians, and a severe fight against this heresy was necessary. Before his execution, St. Artemius prayed aloud, expressing his trust in God's divine providence. Now, I want to read to you his last prayer. His last prayer was as follows. God of God, King of kings, thou who art seated in heaven at the right hand of the Father, who generated thou, thou who art the crown of those who fight for the cause of piety, favorably hear this humble and unworthy servant and receive his soul in peace. A voice replied from heaven saying that his prayers had been heard and the emperor would die in Persia and be succeeded by a Christian and idolatry would be irremediably destroyed. After hearing these words, Artemis serenely laid down his head for the sword. Now, St. Artemis' firm stance and courageous death serve as inspiration for all future generations including those living in continents that he knew nothing of. They think about ours. His example encourages people to face trials with bravery and fortitude, becoming a source of inspiration for Catholics in times of persecution. Though his martyrdom serves as a beacon of courage for Catholics, his enduring spirit becomes a testament to the strength of faith, even in the face of intense persecutions. His story emphasizes the importance of facing challenges with strength and resilience, and he continues to inspire Catholics, reminding them of courageous individuals who stood firm in their faith during difficult times. So what do we ask of St. Artemis on his feast day? Well, let's ask him to help us to support the spiritual sufferings that we are called to bear. Ask him to give us the physical and moral strength to endure 
persecution and have the calm, courage, and confidence in divine providence. St. Artemius, pray for us. us. Uh, Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. We made it. We finally made it. We are now traveling, because this is a pre-recording, we are now traveling back uh, by the convenient way of an airplane through the recycled air. We're going to make it home. We're not going to get sick this time. Yum. We had a great time in Alabama, and now we're coming back home. But uh, now St. Artemius, wow, I've never heard of him before. Uh, I had a coworker whose name was Artem, and I used to call him Artemis, but uh, maybe he didn't know about him either. You know, I I feel like I pronounce his name seven different ways during the song of the day. Artemius. 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 Artemis. 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 Someone count how many times I said I mispronounced his name and let me know. I'd be very curious. But yeah, it's it's very cool to see these saints who are very um, strong, that are willing to endure these kind of sufferings. Like, I pray that I have the strength to endure that kind of suffering. And I think, Phew, I complain about toothaches. So there you go, folks. Well, God gives us the grace. Gives Amen. us the grace to be able to bear those things. Amen. And speaking of God giving us grace, God did give us the grace to go on our EWTN Radiothon uh, conference over in Birmingham, Alabama. And like Rudy said, we're flying back as we speak, literally in the air at this moment. And we will be arriving back in Houston in just a couple hours. And we're very excited to be home. Uh, but we'll be back on Monday with our regularly scheduled programming live. And so today will be the last pre-record for a couple days, literally a couple days, because on uh, All Saints Day will be uh, another pre-record. So oh, there you go, right. folks. <laughs> the, then we will be back on Monday with the regularly scheduled programming, and we will also have the opportunity to do our Fear and Trembling game show again. So that will be exciting. Looking forward to that. So make sure you stick with us. We'd love to have you um, across the GRN and Catholic Spirit Radio uh, during next week, but to this week, or rather today, we have a lot of things lined up for you, so make sure that you tune in for the whole show. Father Paracone, who we've had not had on in a long time, it's been a while, we have a recording with him, which is a brand new interview, you've never heard it before. Father Paracone is going to be on to talk about the border crisis, so that's going to come up in this hour. Plus, Carrie Gress talking about first wave feminism. Was first wave feminism all it's made out to be? Uh, plus, St. Alphonse Liguori, what are some lessons from his life? We'll be talking about that in this hour. So stick with us. No fear and trembling game show. So make sure you call in next week, but not today. All right, let's begin in prayer. We're praying for a safe flight. I'd appreciate if you prayed for us that we make it back home safely without any sicknesses and without any plane crashes. We'll be praying for that. We're praying for the salvation of souls, the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church for our friends, family, and benefactors and all those that we promise to pray for, for peace in the Holy Land under Christ the King, and for my grandfather, that he be healed of his manifold illnesses. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O Virgin Mary, grant that the recitation of thy rosary may be for me each day in the midst of my manifold duties, a bond of unity in my actions, a tribute of filial piety, a sweet refreshment and encouragement to walk joyfully along the path of duty. Grant above all, O Virgin Mary, that the study of thy fifteen mysteries may form in my soul little by little a luminous atmosphere, pure, strengthening, and fragrant, which may penetrate my understanding, my will, my heart, my memory, my imagination, my whole being. So shall I acquire the habit of praying while I work without the aid of formal prayers, by interior acts of admiration, 
and of supplication, or by aspirations of love. I ask this of thee, O Queen of the Holy Rosary, through St. Dominic, thy son of predilection, the renowned preacher of thy mysteries, and the faithful imitator of thy virtues. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here's an interesting story that I'll go into a little bit more detail than usual on. The German preschooling family was given a year postponement on their deportation decision. This is a good news story for those who are homeschoolers. The Romagi family has been granted a temporary one-year stay of deportation from Immigration and Customs Enforcement, otherwise known as ICE, after pro-family voices pushed back against the efforts to kick them out of the country last month. Originally from Germany, the Romiekis fled to the United States in 2008 to homeschool their five children. Apparently, maybe in Germany, they are not allowed to homeschool their children. Former President Barack Obama sought to have them removed from the U.S. in 2012. A lengthy legal battle ensued with the Romiekis, who had been and are still living in East Tennessee, eventually losing their appeal for asylum in the U.S. Supreme Court in 2014. Now, thanks to public pressure from LifeSite News and others, the Department of Homeland Security announced in March of 2014 that it would defer action on their case. Last month, the family was informed out of the blue by an immigration agent they had one month to gather their belongings and return to Germany. On September 12th, Republican U.S. Representative Diana Harshbarger of Tennessee introduced a bill that would grant the Romiekis permanent status as legal residents with a possible pathway to U.S. citizenship. The House Judiciary Committee is currently reviewing the legislation. GOP Tennessee U.S. Ma- uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn also wrote a letter to the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas earlier this month. She noted the hypocritical nature of ICE's decision, saying, quote, As millions of illegal aliens cross our southern border, the Biden administration has worked to remove the Romiecki family who came to Tennessee legally after being persecuted for homeschooling. Following my letter and the work of so many, I am glad ICE has granted a one-year stay of removal, unquote, she said. Now, as millions of um, millions of illegal immigrants flood across our southern border and disappear into our country, your immigration authorities have chosen to push a family who has built their lives in Tennessee with the legal parameters of our immigration system, she wrote. Kevin Bodden of the Home School Legal Defense Association is the Romiecki's family's uh, family attorney. He recently told the Daily Wire that while the decision is welcome news, he's unsure who gave the order, saying, quote, it's tough to know. Is this a new official who came into ICE and is looking at this? Or is it the Biden administration? Is it the individual ICE officer who doesn't understand this? Or was there some superior in the bureaucratic process somewhere who decided they wanted to affect the deportation? I don't know, he he said. Interesting story. And uh, whatever you have going on this weekend, may God bless you and all of your holy efforts. Back to you, Adrian. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. Now we'll start with verses 1 through 3. And when great multitudes stood about him, so they that they trod one upon another, he began to say to his disciples, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now Cornelius Alapide says, In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, the Greek has the myriads of the multitude. And myriad contains exactly 10,000 and is consequently 
taken for an innumerable multitude as here. So I think it's interesting to know to say like the amount of people who are in front of our Lord were a ridiculous amount, something that we would kind of see like a, a massive, massive crowd. Just saying a multitude doesn't really capture the idea of how many people were in front of him. In verse two, it says, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, nor hidden that shall not be known. Now here in verse two, Cornelius Lapide says, beware, says St. Bede, that you do not imitate the hypocrites. For the time will certainly come when both your virtue and their hypocrisy will be revealed to all. Now he says, go check out Matthew 10, 26, his commentation there, because he goes into more detail there. But I think it's important to note that virtue and hypocrisy are things that are related. How are they related? Hypocrisy is mm, kind of the, the wink and nod that a virtue pays to vice. What do I mean by that? I mean that if you have a vice, but you recognize that there is supposed to be a virtue there, that is called hypocrisy. It is not hypocrisy to fail to living up to your standards because we all fall short of the glory of God, but that's what repentance is for. Hypocrisy is expressing a standard that you know people should be following, but you disregard. Not failing to live up to the standard is understandable. We make mistakes. All of us do. But to just have a standard there that you just refuse to live up to, that you have no regard for, that is what hypocrisy is. Now, the Pharisees sought indeed to catch our Lord in his talk that they might lead away the people from him. But the design of theirs is reversed. For the people came all the more to him. They gathered together by thousands and so desirous to attach themselves to Christ that they pressed one upon another. So mighty a thing is truth. So feeble everywhere deceit. Whence it is said of Theophilus, and when there were gathered together a great multitude insomuch that they bowed upon one another, he began to say to his disciples, beware ye the leaven of the tile of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, the thing to note here that I think is very interesting is the contrast between the mighty things of truth and the feeble everywhere deceit. It requires far more effort among the enemies of Christ to try to gain a foothold. They have to take over all the institutions. They have to take over everything in order to try to lead people astray. Because the sheep hear my voice. Because just a little bit of truth is very dangerous to the enemy. A little bit of truth, people will hear it and they recognize it and they seek after it. But falsehood, we have captain sense for that. We'll be right back with more. Hey, Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and powerful. There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, we should not blame people for whatever bad things they may sometimes do. We should not judge them for their faults. We should be kind and merciful. Well, of course we should be kind and merciful. However, it is not merciful to say that we should not blame them for the sins they commit. As G.K. Chesterton says, 
Blame is actually a compliment. It is a compliment because it is an appeal to a man's soul. When we call a man a coward, we are, in so doing, asking him how he can be a coward when he could be a hero. When we rebuke a man for being a sinner, we imply that he has the potential of being a saint. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Joining us right now is Timothy Flanders, the editor-in-chief of 1 Peter 5. And 1 Peter 5 has been putting out a ton of really great materials on Corpus Christi, the Blessed Sacrament, and the Sacred Heart. And I wanted to ask Mr. Flanders to come on with us and talk about, most specifically here, about the month of the Sacred Heart. Uh, Most specifically, the article we put out, 10 Ways to Restore June to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So good morning to you, Mr. Flanders. Good morning. Jesus is King. Thanks for having me on today. Amen. Amen. And you know, I was thinking, it's really, it was really very cool. I was reading your article the other day and I was just like, wow, this is really great, especially the point about the rainbow. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's very interesting about the rainbow because it is in fact an image of, of a covenant between God and the LGBT mob kind of takes it over and says, get, tries to, uh, tries to, and removes some of the colors and makes a perversion of it. Uh, let's start with, uh, the thinking about the rainbow in relation to our Lord. Uh, let's start there. Sure. Well, I mean, it's, it's really a, God has given us the natural world, uh, to symbolize and become an icon of his immense and eternal and mysterious charity for us and for his whole world. And this is perhaps no, there's perhaps no greater glorious natural sign than the rainbow, which is a sign of, of God's great love that he covenanted. The scripture says in Genesis, the Holy ghost speaks and says that it grieved God's heart that man was so evil. And so there's sort of this grief. It's sort of a revelation of the sacred heart in Genesis where it grieves God to destroy the world by, by, by water, which is also a symbol of, of baptism. But then he creates this glorious symbol of his love, the rainbow. And, and it's just a, it's just an unmerited act of God's grace. There was no supplication by Noah that God, please never do this again. God just did that just uh, out of the abundance of his love for us. And it's just this glorious sign that it's it's true, and whenever you see a rainbow, it's just truly a glorious, uh, beautiful thing for anyone to experience, and that's why God created it. So it's 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 our sign. You really can't take it uh, because it's it's God's sign, and so and there's there's uh, traditional depictions of the rainbow, uh, which show the uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus, the enthronement of Christ. That I one of the what I shared in this article, um, and it there's a I think the most conspicuous difference with the true rainbow versus the false rainbow is that it's curved. It's, it's, it's a curved, curved thing. And I've never really seen the, the LGBT, whatever alphabet police use the curved rainbow. I've only seen the, not, I know, I noticed now they have this new rainbow with a, with a little triangle with more colors and, Maybe eventually they'll just lose all the rainbow because they'll add so many <laughs> colors, and then and we'll just have it back at that point. But 
Uh, I mean, they've already added more colors that are totally unnatural to the, right. the rainbow because at least when their original plan, they had six colors. They took out one. So that's sort of a satanic thing because they only have Correct. six. Mm-hmm. Um, but now they've added more colors that aren't there's like a gray and a black. I haven't looked at it closely, but I mean, it's it's uglier now. I mean, right. at least the original one had some semblance of the beauty of the the original rainbow. But now it's just becoming more ugly, I think, no. which is a sort of a. It's like a they've they've re- they've shown their own right. ugliness. Of, you know, it's perhaps. interesting, Mr. Flanders, about the the rainbow, especially because, you, like you mentioned, it was in fact curved. And I was reading some of the commentators on Genesis, and they were talking about how it was literally a symbol of God's war bow, and that he was the symbol of putting the rainbow in the sky was a sign of mercy, of saying, "I will not be pulling back my bow." Uh, to attack the world and sink the world and destroy the world again. And I think that's a very interesting inversion where they, they have straightened out the rainbow. Uh, very interesting, that uh, connection there. But let's go on to another point of yours, which I think is amazing. And I, I'm a huge advocate of this. I do a lot of these kind of things with American Eats Fatima. And you said you don't need clerical permission for a public procession. And I think it's very apropos to talk about this leading up to uh, many Corpus Christi processions this coming Sunday. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is something that we advocate strongly at 1 Peter 5 is that the issues that we have as, as the traditional movement since Vatican II were, were something things that were coming up in the 19th century. For example, for example, clericalism and ultramontanism or hyper uber ultramontanism rather. Um, so these are issues where the church as an overreaction against the lay abuse of liberalism, many clerics and popes and bishops began to advocate for a church defined only as clerically led. And there's so much more we could get into that. But the point is there's a lot, there's a strong and long tradition of lay rulership and lay leadership, lay nobility in the church. And this is manifested conspicuously with the various lay-led public displays of faith. One is the lay-led procession. There's various confraternities that have been founded over the years which lead and uh, organize these processions, particularly during Holy Week, but at other times as well. There's also the passion plays, uh, people putting on these public displays of uh, the passion, the stories of the passion. Um, but you don't need clerical permission for that. Uh, you need to get out of that clericalist mindset, which is a modern phenomenon originated, especially in the 19th century. And you need to get back into a Catholic mindset. And we need to take back the the lay leadership. And this is, in fact, ironically, this is something that Vatican II actually advocated with it advocated with one hand but then took away with the other hand you know it's very interesting i i personally we i mean we've done so many marian processions and where we just go out and do these things and you know sometimes you need permission from your pastor if you want to do it at the church however if you're doing it in the public square on the public sidewalk you do not need to ask permission and even if you want to do a major procession down the streets you need to alert your local authorities not your local church now obviously if you think your pastor would be amenable to it uh, that would be great to have the public witness of a priest and his clerics walking down 
the streets holding the Blessed Sacrament or help carrying the statue of Our Lady, a very beautiful thing. Now, during this, uh, they were coming up to Corpus Christi. I know many parishes will be having Eucharistic processions, and uh, we're about to go to break in about a minute. Uh, are you going to be having Eucharistic procession at your parish, or how is that going to work for y'all? Uh, yeah, we have uh, Eucharistic procession on, on the external solemnity on Sunday. We have the Thursday Corpus Christi as well, and then we celebrate it again on Sunday. It's very much the octave of Corpus Christi, but then there's also a diocesan because many of the bishops have started doing that, so I'm going to go to that one too. As many processions as possible, but the lay-led procession, we can't we can't touch the Eucharist. We can't deal with, with the, those things, so I suggested a Sacred Heart procession. Uh, there's a, a strong tradition of lay-led um, it, like the Vendée, uh, Dieu le roi, the God, the King, the Sacred Heart symbol as the Vendée. Um, why don't we have a Sacred Heart procession uh, as the Eucharistic King of our nation or our community? Do that as a lay-led procession. Absolutely. When we come back, I want to talk about the lay sodalities. That's something that I really don't know much about and I was very interested in. So this and much more when we come back. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. On this Friday during the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. A wonderful month indeed. Something that we should definitely keep in mind. And to talk about this exact situation is Timothy Flanders, the editor-in-chief of One Peter Five. I highly recommend, we talked about this last week, actually, his article, 10 Ways to Restore June to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So check that article out at One Peter Five. Uh, thank you for joining us, Mr. Flanders. And Always gonna, a joy to be here, Adrian. Absolutely. And, you know, we were talking before we went to break about things that lady can do that does not require clerical permission and things like processions, uh, public square rosary rallies, things like that. There's so many different things that we can do that we don't need permission for. But then you mentioned lay sodalities. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I've never really heard of these. I don't think I'm part of any of these things. And so tell me about lay sodalities. Yeah. So this is just a natural effect of our sacramental grace that we receive in the blessed sacrament coming out of the the graces that we receive as lay people. Um, if, if you can go read Vatican II's um, Apostolicum Axiositatem, which talks about how the, the, the apostleship the, the, um, is given to the laity by means of their confirmation directly from the Lord. And so traditionally, these are, you, you probably heard the term confraternity. That's, that's really the same thing. Confraternity means mm. uh, fraternitas, brotherhood, uh, sodality comes from sodalis, which means companion. Interesting. And so it's just lay people getting together to pray for some devotional purpose. And this is how the guilds were started. The guilds were started with these confraternities. So people were getting together to pray, and then they found out one of their members uh, died. And now he's got a widow and children. Now we've got to raise some money to help his widow and children. And then eventually this becomes an economic support and different cooperations, uh, political cooperations, things like that are all outgrowths of prayer. That's why our uh, main loisidality is the Crusade of Eucharistic Reparation, and the main component is Eucharistic Reparatory Prayer, Eucharist Adoration, and the Praying the Prayer. And this is really the, the heart of a crusade. A crusade is, is, a, is a form of sodality, uh, because in, in traditionally, this is something called by the clergy, but then the laity are the ones who lead the war. 
we go out and because that's this is our domain. Our domain is is the temporal sphere. The domain of the clerics is inside the church celebrating the liturgy, which is a connection with the supernatural order. Our domain is lay people. We the lay domain the 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 uh, temporal order belongs to us. This is our domain to do things with. So forming a sodality is again you don't need clerical permission. Um, it, but it's always nice to have clerics involved. But sometimes you need a chaplain. But uh, a sodality is lay people just getting together to pray for and and pray for some purpose. It could be economic. It could be political. It could be merely uh, reparation, just a spiritual thing. Now you don't if, need permission to get together to pray. Now tell me about the the sodality that one Peter five is doing. I believe uh, you mentioned uh, having no not needing clerics, uh, but I think if I'm not mistaken, you can correct me here that one Peter five is leading a lay sodality. However, it's with the uh, with the leadership of His Excellency Bishop Athanasius Snyder um, about the Eucharistic Crusade, and I believe there's something else as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so we have two lay sodalities. Um, one is a fasting lay sodality that's, that, has, that was founded with mainly through Matthew Pleasy, where we try to restore the various fasts. And we offer these up for the clergy and the, and the seminarians. Um, but the Crusade of Eucharistic Reparation, was, it was called, the crusade was called by Bishop Athanasius Snyder. But the way that, it, but this is, this is a real crusade. We, we have an investment right, which was adapted from the old pontificale in the 1500s, where the clerics would actually invest the crusader cross in a lay fighter, a warrior, to go actually and fight a crusade. This is a real crusade, but it has to be started from the spiritual. Now, Archbishop uh, Athanasius Snyder, his involvement, he, he's not the leader of this crusade. The crusade, the crusade is led by the lay people. The clerics call the crusade, and they bless the crusade, and then the crusaders go and fight the crusade. And the, the crusaders are the ones who lead the crusade because... That's our job in, in the temporal order. Now, how does what does that have to do with the Eucharist? Because the Eucharist is obviously the clerical uh, sphere. Well, the crusade of Eucharistic reparation is, first of all, we're making reparation. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God, she carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are, wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran who soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with the Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. 
Crusaders go and fight the Crusade. And the, the Crusaders are the ones who lead the Crusade because that's our job in, in the Temporal Order. Now, how does, what does that have to do with the Eucharist? Because the Eucharist is obviously the clerical uh, sphere. Well, the Crusade of Eucharistic Reparation is, first of all, we're making reparation to Almighty God through our prayers and sacrifices. And that's the kernel. From there, that's when we, only if we have that established, then we can we deal with further organization. For example, creating a security team at your parish to prevent any Eucharistic abuse, any somebody from invading the, the liturgy and trying to steal the blessed sacrament, things like that. That's our job as lay people. You know, when we had BLM in the summer of love a couple of years ago, you know, destroying churches, uh, especially in Canada, you know, that is our job as crusaders is to defend the blessed sacrament. But that's just the that's just the beginning. There's many different aspects to this. Uh, but Bishop Snyder's involvement is he's not the leader of the crusade because a crusade is by nature a lay initiative. Mm. All right. Well, that makes sense. If people wanted to uh, join that, how would they do so? You can go to onepeter5.com slash crusade and just fill out the, the form at the bottom, which is the mailing list. Uh, the, the base requirements are very minimal. It's just one hour Eucharistic reparation, uh, so adoration, and praying the prayer of Bishop Snyder. That's just once a month, but that's just the minimum. There's all sorts of other additional devotions that we are trying to promote, especially uh, this coming Thursday is the octave day of Corpus Christi. And that's what Bishop Snyder has asked to be created as a, a day of reparation for crimes against the Blessed Sacrament. So the day before Sacred Heart of Jesus is this reparation day. So that's what we promote. And that's something we can already do that as lay people. We don't need a clerical permission to celebrate a day of reparation like that. So we're doing it right now with 1 Peter 5 and all of our crusaders. We, we ask them to help to establish that in their local parish, the local community. Now, one of the other things that you had mentioned here is uh, number 10, commit now to a penitential pilgrimage and offer it up for a person who identifies as LGBT. And I think this is great, especially in this kind of, especially for Americans, it's very difficult for us to do pilgrimages. There's not so many, not as many sites as we would like as they have in Europe, but there are some, and there's mostly, there are some in pretty much every state in America. So tell me your idea about what do you mean by penitential pilgrimage? And what do you mean by offering it up for a person who identifies as LGBT? Yeah, well, I mean, as, as parents, it's easy to be angry at the public display of sins that cry to heaven for vengeance in this great month of the Sacred Heart, and especially because we're, you know, we're trying to protect our children from these perversions. And so you should be angry and you should fight against that publicly in all these ways that I've described. But we also need to remember that obviously these people who are doing these things are, are poor, poor souls, poor sinners in need of conversion. And... Uh, many times, you know, they, they, they come into these perversions, these confusions, because their own hearts are, are wounded by sin. Sometimes they're victims of, of other people, and that's what's kind of caused the situation. You know, there's many different theories or whatever. But the point is, I mean, these are wounded hearts, wounded souls that the sacred heart of Jesus loves and desires to convert and save, save from eternal damnation, just like all of us. So uh, it's important that we also have that that aspect of this because otherwise we're not really Catholics if we don't love our enemies mm -hmm. and we don't pray for those who persecute us. That's essential. If we don't do that, we're not Christians. We're not worthy of the name of Christian. 
Amen. Amen. That's so true. Especially, you know, these people, and I was talking to somebody recently, someone asked me, so how, how do you talk about the LGBT issue uh, when you're talking to people about it? And I always tell them, you know, I have to make a distinction when it comes to the ideology. It's a complete and total repudiation. I completely reject the entire ideology. But if you're talking to an individual who's suffering from these delusions, well, you have to have a charity and you also want to be able to offer sacrifice for their conversion because ultimately the way to win is the salvation of souls. If souls are lost, well, then we are losing the war. So that's uh, ultimately the decision that we have to keep in mind. Now, in regards to there was an article that was published, I believe, a couple of days ago by Nicholas Cavazos, and I thought this was excellent, uh, this idea of encouraging uh, these processions for the Sacred Heart. And so they, he gives uh, some steps here on how to do this. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with his article, but presumably you might be. What do you think about steps to actually say, okay, I want to do this, Mr. Flanders. You told me I'm encouraged. I now want to do it. What? How do I do it? Yeah, it's 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 not hard. Uh, the the first thing you need to remember is that it's not the numbers that count, but the fervency of the saints and the fervency of every single soul in their pious prayers to Almighty God. As Saint James says, Elijah was just a man; and he, he shut up the heavens from rain. So it doesn't matter how many people show up. First of all, uh, so you need to promote it. Promote uh, a this this prayer. First, the prayer and the spiritual aspect is is first and foremost. If you try to do political action without prayer, you're just going to cause more harm than good. And so, get Cavazos uh, has a, a great step by step. One of the things he points out is that we should drop the right wing purity test. We should we should organize something that's led by Catholics, that's totally Catholic. We're not going to compromise on the Sacred Heart of Jesus and praying the Rosary and Hail Marys and other thing. But if the Protestants come in, hey. We welcome you, but we're going to lead it. It's going to be Catholic. If mm-hmm. you want to come and join our Catholic thing, yes, that's fine. You know, or or sometimes there's even uh, pious Jews who will sometimes join in this. I've heard of atheists who go on the March for Life sometimes. There's like these pro-life atheists. So we need to uh, lead something as Catholics. And sometimes you'll be surprised. And Cavazos was surprised. He was surprised at how many people supported the effort that he did in his small Texas town. Because there's just a lot of people out there who hate this stuff mm-hmm. but they're just they don't know what to do or they're afraid to do something but right. then when they see somebody leading it and the catholic church is the leader we're the leader we've got we have a responsibility as catholics especially in these united states where we have such a multi-layered uh society diverse society but there's a strong population of catholics and if catholics just rise up and we've seen it already before in this in these united states in the history of the 20th century absolutely you know just a quick story before we close out in houston when we had a satanic mass happening in houston where they stole the holy eucharist we had a major a major 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 uh, protest outside of the the event and that. there was a the lady who was the mother of the owner of the brewery came out with us and she was Protestant and non, mostly non-practicing. And she went out and she prayed the rosary with us and encountered a fraternity priest who was there. And while she was there, the fraternity priest was talking to her. And she ended up coming back to mass with us at the fraternity parish and was said and she uh, did, participated in the rep- acts of reparation for her child's uh, blasphemies against God. And I don't know where she stands today, but amazing fruit that came 
from this public act of love of God. Uh, so, I, like you said, uh, there's a, we don't need to have this right-wing purity test and be like, oh, you're the da- the mother of these people, you're out of here, or something crazy like that. So, I think that's 100% correct. Uh, but thank you very much, Mr. Flanders, for joining us. Check him out at 1 Peter 5. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to uh, plug in there, right there? Oh, just one quick thing is that against the lies of James Martin, there is a, an, a, 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 a church apostolate which reaches out to people with same-sex attractions called Courage International. They've been working for 34 years. They're very successful, and they help people who have these attractions. They don't know what to do with them, but they don't want them. Amen. So I, I, if you have somebody like that, send them to Courage, Courage International. International. 1 Peter 5, check it out. Courage International, check it out. That's going to do it. We'll see you in the next hour. Mr. Bly, tell me about this. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Uh, what is a miracle? Well, there's two levels of definition, Adrian. So Thomas Aquinas, as with <laughs> so many things, gives us a good definition. The first level is the simplest, and that is a miracle is something that only God can do. So that's the first level. The second level <clears throat> is the three kind of um, tiers of miracles, and that is when God does something nature does, but faster, when God does something nature does, but in a different order, and then when God does something that nature cannot do. So if you think of the sun at Fatima moving in the, in the sky, that's not something that nature can do um, in the normal order of the universe. And then when we think of, say, um, you know, the the sun setting in the opposite way, that would be something nature does, but in the opposite order. And then, for instance, think of healings when people have been sick or ill and have been healed through a miraculous healing. It's instantaneous. It's faster than the way nature heals. Okay, so that's what a miracle is. It's something only God can do. The creator who has dominion over all of the material universe, all of the spiritual universe, the demons uh, and witchcraft, which is merely an appeal to spirits to do favors for you, uh, cannot do miracles. The devil, the demons can only do a sham of a miracle, the illusion that a miracle happened. So, for instance, uh, a common one is to mask pain temporarily. So you might say, you know, I've got this nerve pain in my leg and it's been there for years and I I go to the witch and I, I pay the money and they claim to heal me and I feel the pain go away for a period of time. That's masking the pain as opposed to healing the cause of the pain. Um, uh, another way that they can seem to do miracles is moving creation around. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. 
The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! Hey, Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion and confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. The devil cannot do that, but what he can do is he can move an object from one place to another and make it seem like he created it. So, you know, we sometimes see these, I just call them parlor tricks, but they're not actually miracles. Interesting, interesting, yeah, because I've heard many, many times people will, be, will tell me things like, well, Adrian, uh, well, I used crystals once and it worked. It worked. It healed me. And I'm so obviously it can't be bad if it's doing these good things. And the same thing they'll say about using these kind of amulets. And most of the time they won't go full blown and be like, oh, well, I uh, definitely I summoned Satan. And he did a favor for me. Usually it's these more ancillary things that kind of seem to be uh, more OK, I suppose, using things like amulets, crystals, uh, manifestations They're like it worked, Adrian, it worked. So there Therefore, it must be good. Uh, what say you about that, those kind of objections? Well, you have to remember the types of stories that you hear along those lines are usually something like I had a headache or I had a cold for two weeks and it didn't go away and then suddenly it was gone. Two things there. One, things do heal eventually. And two, uh, usually those apparent healings are a placebo effect. We know from medicine that many of the over-counter medications, a big part of what they do is a placebo effect. If we believe that some pain is going to go away, often the brain can produce that effect, at least in the short term. You know, if you get into the details of what people claim, they with this stuff they don't claim you know i i lost my my foot in an auto accident 10 years ago and i went used the crystal and suddenly my foot grew back they don't claim anything very dramatic and concrete it's all often something subtle it's not like restoring your vision from blindness it's uh you know this ache or a pain went away is usually what it is because it's something that the brain can do now there's one there's one caveat to that adrian and that is that the devil can take away an affliction that he created. Mm. So when he creates an affliction, it's not a miracle. It's a harm to the body. And it, he needs uh, basically permission from God to do that. So you have to have already opened the door to him through some relationship or bringing a cursed object into your body or in contact with you. But if he can create an affliction like a numbness or a pain or something like that, then you go to the witch and then he removes the affliction that he's artificially creating and that causes the sham of a healing. 
Wow. That's interesting. So that would be like if I uh, went up to a friend of mine and started like pinching him and I was like, Hey, if you pat your head and rub your tummy, it'll uh, actually stop the, the pain of the, of the pinch. And they're like, Oh really? And they, and they pat their head, rub their tummy. And then I let go. I'm like, see, it worked. Uh, <laughs> is that kind of basically what's happening there? Exactly. Yeah. That's very yes. interesting. Very, very concerning that, that I never even thought about that as a, as an option, but I guess that makes sense. And so what exactly are the powers of a of a devil over the over the natural world because i mean we kind of look at angels and angels are are very much the same species as the demons and so if that's the case we suddenly know angels have power over over many things and they're they're much greater than us and so what powers do the demons have and are allowed to use or maybe are they allowed to use all their natural abilities or are they kind of restricted how does that work exactly well, there's two levels to that, Adrian. First off, angels, including the fallen angels, and again, we go back to Thomas Aquinas, they have a particular faculty, he calls it. That's kind of like a knack or an ability to do something. So if I'm born very tall with a very athletic body and I've got good coordination, you might say I have a faculty for sports or for basketball because that's kind of what I have a gift for. We see this with Olympic athletes, right? You have to have a genetic predisposition to get to that level in in a particular sport. An angel is the same way. They have a faculty or an ability to do things uh, that are specific to the ministry they were created to do. So when when the fallen angels were separated from God, they still have that faculty, but it's in a diminished and deformed state because it's no longer hooked into God and God's will. They still have it because they're still alive. You know, they're, they're a spiritual being that he's allowing to live. They still have it, but they use it for the opposite. So an angel that was created to inspire chastity, if it fell, for instance, may become a demon of lust. It's using the same faculty, but using it in the opposite way it was intended. Mm. So when we think about what they can do, the most critical thing we have to think about is anything they do, they need permission from God. It's not that God wants them to cause harm, but God honors our free will and allows us, if we open the door to that relationship and ask for that relationship, he allows the fallout, the consequences of that choice. So he has to give them permission, and it's through human free will that we invite the demon to act in the world and in our lives, whatever we have authority over. So that's the first level, is not to be fearful and think they're just going to randomly do these things to me. If I stay out of their world, if I don't violate the Ten Commandments, I stay in a state of grace, I'm not turning to the occult or black magic, which is any kind of magic, then I really don't need to worry about it. So all that being said, they can do limited things with God's permission, but it's not like a holy angel. You have to remember the holy angel is still hooked into God and doing God's will. So if God wants you to do something, he's doing it through that angel. There's no limit to what they can, quote unquote, do because they are enacting God's will, if that Mm. makes sense. No, that makes sense because, you know, we think about it even in, in the, and for humans, it's like you, obviously a human cannot uh, raise people from the dead, but yet the saints did that. And so it wasn't by their own power, but it was because they're, like you said, hooked into God in the same way. I mean, I could imagine a, a guardian angel being able to, uh, to contend with, with higher level angels because they're hooked in with God in a similar way. So that makes sense to me. Now, 
the uh, one thing, though, that it's kind of interesting when you were speaking there, you mentioned about giving permission. And but uh, my thought is, and you can please correct me, is that the uh, the angels and demons still have free will. And so just like a person on the on the street has free will, and they can choose to walk up to me and and murder me or steal from me or rob me things like that. And it doesn't matter what my free will says. And they're exerting their free will against my will. And, uh, is, can demons do things like that? They do have free will, but they are limited in what they can do. So let me give you an example, uh, in the world of going to solemn exorcisms where, you know, an exorcist is dealing with a, a demon and a possessed person. We see this many, many times. So at the beginning of the session, and I've you know seen this just in recent weeks, the demon literally says at the beginning of the session, he, meaning Jesus, told me, I'm not allowed to attack you because you're older and you because you're sick, but you and you are young. I'm allowed to fight you. And then during the session, they will physically attack the people wow. that Jesus has allowed them to attack, but they literally will not lay a finger or move towards the people that Jesus said, you are not allowed to touch that priest because he's older. To the point that even in the thrashing around and attacking people, if they inadvertently touch the stole or the sleeve of that priest, they will immediately recoil wow. and cower and say, I accidentally touched him. I touched him. I broke the rule. I touched him. Terrified. So they do have free will, but they're not free to do whatever they want. Mm, that's interesting. It's very interesting. Now we're just about out of time, and uh, I, I failed to. I, we diverted the topic. I failed to uh, to talk about the uh, the topic of the miracles. And so the last about thirty forty seconds. Uh, give me a pitch for your book. I just saw Sophia and Sue Press actually has your book on sale for five dollars right now. Excellent. So uh, people should definitely go and get the the Catholic Guide to Miracles, separating the authentic from the counterfeit. Give me a, a pitch for that, real quick, uh, Mister Bly. Well, the, the goal of that book was to explore the supernatural because I, I had written on the preternatural, you know, the bad side of things. I wanted to explore the good side of things and really bring the focus to God, God's miracles uh, in, you know, various forms, everything from healings to uh, saints that levitated to the sun at Fatima, uh, the signs that God gives us to remind us that God is real, that the spiritual world is real. I think it's more important to to look there for our focus and our proofs of the reality of God, as opposed to focusing on the, the devil too much. Amen. Amen. Uh, check out Adam Bly every Saturday at 10 a.m. on the spirit world across EWTN, the Guadalupe Radio Network, and in many other places as well. So check them out. God bless you, Mr. Bly. God bless you and God bless your listeners. Absolutely. And that's going to bring us into Fear and Trembling Game Show, where we're going to give away prizes so you could win. How do you win? Call now, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. One more time, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, joining us right now is Father John Perricone. He is a PhD and adjunct professor of philosophy at Iona College in New Rochelle, New York. He has articles in many places, but relevant to our conversation, uh, he has an article out on Crisis Magazine. The question is, is opposition to illegal immigration a sin? A very relevant conversation today 
And it's really interesting because I'll have conversations with people and I'll say something like along the lines of, you know, I don't I'm not a fan of the Republican Party. I'm not a fan of the Democrat Party, but the Democrat Party is certainly worse considering they violate every single Catholic principle. And people will often say, well, what about illegal immigration? We as Catholics have to support illegal immigrants. And therefore, the Democrat Party has that one right. Well, that's not quite the case. Uh, good morning to you, Father Perricone. Good morning to you, Adrian. Thank you for inviting me. Praise be to God. It's good to have you on. So here's the, let's, let's start from the beginning. Is opposition to illegal immigration a sin? Well, as I say in the very first line of my article, of course it is not. Sadly, uh, as you pointed out, many Catholics think this has become the 11th commandment, that thou shalt not forbid illegal immigrants in the country. And it's, it's a lie. What makes it even more complicated is that many prominent prelates upon whom Catholics depend for direction in their faith are making it seem as though um, opposition to illegal immigration, if not a sin, because most prelates don't even talk in those terms anymore, it's certain that it's certainly something that's beneath the dignity of a Catholic. And, and so, therefore, they really think this is part of the cornerstone of the Catholic faith, and it clearly is not. As I probably will speak later, I make a case that it is um, an obligation in charity as well as in justice to be opposed to illegal immigration. Now, that's really interesting, Father, because uh, most people will say, I mean, you, you hear this, they kind of, it's kind of very much caught up in this emotivism, right? Just trying to say, exactly. you know, it feels bad because you, I mean, you hear the stories of people trying to come over, you are presented with this, and many of us, especially I, I live in Houston, uh, many of us have know people who are illegal immigrants, and so we kind of get this feeling, well, you know, my friend's mom is an illegal immigrant, my friend's dad is an illegal immigrant, and my, my buddy over here employs illegal immigrants, so kind of feel bad. I know these people. Uh, what would you say to kind of, uh, people who kind of immediately go to the mode of this argument? So many of us carry such heavy burdens. She's having a relationship with George. It's disgusting. It's dis- Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, 
that, we see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now, to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth, and that, my friend, will not happen again. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Then we have promiscuity, and, and, and that's what's happening today. Now, of course, it's always veiled, as always feelings are, with a kind of respectability. Well, the person in front of me is suffering. Yes, they are illegal. So, therefore, I must be in favor of illegal immigration. Uh, no, the response would be, this person is in front of me. They're suffering. I will care for them because this is what my faith and uh, my God requires of me doesn't mean I should be in favor of the way they made it here into this country. Um, my, I would not be here if my legal immigrants from Italy did not come here um, and, and did not abide by the, the laws of this country, and which were, which were very laborious at the time they came. Um, and that's always the, you know, the argument made, well, we are a country of immigrants. Indeed, we are of legal ones. And um, and to say to say that somehow we are violating charity by uh, not wanting to violate a commandment, and by the way, uh, um, adhering to the laws of our nation is part of the fourth commandment. We ought to uh, abide by the laws of our nation and civil authority. Then we're falling into this emotivism, and we're allowing feelings to dictate the demands of charity. Um, Remember the spine of charity. Adrian is truth. Yes, absolutely. Without without truth, there can be no charity. Absolutely, and that's what I'm afraid Catholics are falling into. I, I've seen that very much. It's the case. The this idea that truth is is 
is not charitable, that truth is mean, is very much in the zeitgeist of, uh, of culture today. And the, the only sin that exists is being mean to people. That's pretty much it. Uh, but I do like what you said. We can have this Catholic vision of the world and say, on one hand, yes, we should not allow people to break our laws. And at the other hand, if someone in front of us is suffering, that we can alleviate their suffering. Those two things don't have to contradict. Uh, could you speak a little bit more about that, Father? No, of course not. Um, our, our Lord said, you know, uh, he is to be found in the suffering, and, um, and, and and we are to take care of them. And, and religious orders have been founded in the Church to take care of the suffering. Look at what St. Vincent de Paul did when he went on in, into prisons and cared for those who were breaking the law. They were souls that were in need of his priestly ministrations. He, he went to those jails not as an announcement that the laws were somehow cruel or unjust. They might have been in France at that time. But that was not his business. Um, it's the business of you, the layman, to take care of the political sphere, the sphere of the common good. Uh, it is the, your sphere as a layman to exercise charity, of a priest to exercise charity. And... Um, when he does, it doesn't mean that in some way he's negating the laws that exist. The same is true with capital punishment, Adrian. Um, uh, the natural moral law uh, allows nations to protect their common good by administration of, of punishments as they see fit, and one of them is capital punishment. And if I, as a priest, go and, and, and give this, the, the uh, extra emotion, the sacrament of the anointing, to, to a man who's on death row, um, I am, you know, doing what I should as a priest, and I am not in any way violating the laws of the nations, because I don't have a right to do that, because of free people, according to the natural moral law, and the constant teaching of the church, um, has the right to defend the common good and net out any penal uh, sanctions that it deems fit. Now, um, we, we can exercise charity within the boundaries of truth. Uh, you know, and that's simply the case. Now, Father, you did mention something that's very interesting. You're saying that we have to uh, look to see what the Church has said in the past, right? And so has the Church spoken about illegal immigration? Is this something that has been spoken about because it seems as though uh, many people, whenever they talk about this, the only person they cite would be they would cite Pope Francis talking about borders being bad. And then they will cite the they will look to our Lord and say, look, our Lord and the Holy Family, they uh, were they were asylum seekers. They fled into Egypt. They fled on. They were illegal immigrants. They would say these kind of things. Uh, but what does the Catholic tradition say? I have pointed out in my, my article, the Catholic tradition simply says that nations have a right to protect themselves, as you and I have a right to protect ourselves. And this means, in the case of nations, to protect their property against any unlawful intruders. The Church has always declared that, based upon the Fourth Commandment. And in my article, I cite the documents of, of Pope John Paul II, and of Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, stressing this fact that that nations have the right and obligation to defend their borders against intruders. That has always been the case in the history of the Church. Unfortunately, Pope Francis has declared the same thing as his predecessors, 
out of one side of his mouth, and then Adrian on the other side of his mouth, he talks against, he talks in favor of borderless nations, which is completely opposed to the ancient tradition of the church uh, up until Benedict XVI. See, that's an unfortunate part of his pontificate. On the one hand, it will, it will oftentimes give the true teaching of the church, and then at other times, cast great confusion by saying the opposite. What is a Catholic to do? Obviously, a Catholic is to stand with the constant ancient, ancient tradition of the church. Because the Vicar of Christ is, um, is to simply guard what has always been the teaching of the church and hand it on. Mm. Um, the Vicar of Christ is his vicar. He's not Christ. Right. Amen. That's and because he's not Christ, Adrian, he's not permitted to change what Christ has set forth by his holy Catholic Church. I think when Catholics recognize that, they'll be less dispirited uh, in these times in which we live. Amen. You know Father. what I mean. Thank you very much for that, Father. That's definitely very helpful, especially in this time where I know exactly what you mean. Very. Uh, People are lacking a lot of hope. But, you know, one thing that I wanted to point out, and you talk about this in your article, which I thought was excellent, is the fact that this this movement to have open borders is really part of the egalitarian revolution. We want to create all countries being equal. There are no nations. We have this new world order, everything, the borderless nations. But it's funny because, uh, one, the Vatican has borders, and two— Heaven has a pearly gate with Peter standing guard. And so we know that our Lord is okay with borders and he's no, he, we know he's okay with separating, uh, nations, nation, namely the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Uh, so what say you, Father, about this, this kind of egalitarian revolution? Well, you put it perfectly. Uh, I, I can't improve upon what you just said. Uh, uh, Yes, it's egalitarianism, and, you know, it's worse than Marxism, Adrian, because at least with Marxism, they'll conquer nations, but allow the nations to exist, even with their own language. We are talking about here a a, a liberalism, uh, um, an antinomianism goes even deeper. It refuses to admit even the existence of nations and their own respected cultures and manner of living and language. They literally want to reduce the world to one warring tribalism. Um, it is far worse than anything we've ever seen, is certainly in the history of, of philosophy, um, because when they speak about borderless nations, clearly they are, of course, considering the fact that even the borderless nation must have some kind of a ruling authority, and I suppose you know who that ruling authority would be. Mm. It becomes this autocracy. It becomes this totalitarianism. And, of course, we're seeing that, uh, of course, the, 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 the woke people speak out of both sides of their mouth. On the one hand, they talk about borderless nations and freedom from any kind of restriction, emancipation even from our gender, Mm. And yet they are enforcing uh, the censure of free speech as never as it's been seen in this country before. Amen. Um, Amen. I mean, you say you it very well in your article here. You say men of sound mind instantly recognize the lunacy of exchanging Mount Sinai for Mount Woke. 
Once upon a time, the greatest enemy to this Gnostic madness was a Roman Catholic church. And I think it was really interesting that you chose to point out the Gnostic madness because what you were saying here echoed what I've read with um, Professor Plenio Correa de Oliveira in 1959, his revolution and counter-revolution. He says that the revolution is the Gnostic egalitarian revolution. And I think you were talking about this exactly whenever you mentioned this. Uh, so why do you say uh, the Gnostic madness? You know, even someone as as as, as um, eminent a scholar as, as Eric Veglin at University of Chicago um, wrote a, his book, Teaching Political Philosophy, Adrian, in, entitled the Gnostic Temptation. Why is it Gnosticism? Because at the center of Gnosticism, the only God that exists is me. And, and where do I come into contact with him? I come into contact with him by consulting my own ideas, my own feelings about how reality ought to be. It's called Gnosticism, from the Greek word as you know, Gnosis, which means knowledge. It's a secret knowledge. Why is it secret? It's secret because I have it. It exists within me, and no one else can share it. Now, I sometimes can share it with others, who in the Gnostic texts we see are called the Illuminati, but no one else knows it. And I have an obligation to impose this secret knowledge, which I possess within me, upon everyone else. It is one of the most, it is the most vile heresy that the church has ever faced. Um, being revived, by the way, with the heresy of modernism, mm -hmm. which requires another article, another program. <laughs> yes, of but, course. But, 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 but of course, the, this, this Gnosticism, it, we see it all about us. When Catholics glibly speak about, well, uh, God is within me. Uh, they're not talking about sanctifying grace, Adrian, as classical Roman Catholicism is, but they're speaking about literally, I have God within me, he's not outside, and, 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 and this leads to, um, this leads to chaos, and ultimately it leads to an awful totalitarianism, as, as Veglin and others that you may cite, uh, recognize, because when I have this secret knowledge of how the order of reality ought to be, and then I'm going to have to impose that upon others, and uh, I become a new, I become God. You remember that quotation from G.K. Chesterton, because he was facing this at the beginning of the 20th century, this notion of the God within, I consult my own feelings, and we see this in the church today. He said, um, the worst religion the most awful of all religions is the religion of the God within. Because when Mr. Jones speaks to the God within Mr. Jones, uh, Mr. Jones is only speaking to Mr. Jones. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. And I mean, it gets to what we were talking about a second ago about how emotivism gets to the point where and no sexual sin could ever be bad because we always feel like doing it, right? We always uh, want okay. to do those things. So, oh, it could never be bad. Uh, I think that's exactly that's right. I, I do want to shift the conversation back to talking about illegal immigration a little bit. You mentioned about it as a mandate of justice, and you quote the Compendium of Social Doctrine of the Catholic Church saying, a nation has a fundamental right to exist to its own language and culture, and many people will see this as really bad they'll say you can't talk about having your own culture that's that's xenophobic that's racist to say things like that uh, but that's simply not the case in fact the church is saying that this is a mandate of justice uh what say you father oh viva la difference 
um, uh, our, our Lord himself re- respected all the various cultures that were around him and his apostolic college did. Look at on, on the day of Pentecost, the evangelist makes a very careful note of all the various peoples that were there um, and, and citing them one after the other, the Parthians and the Greeks and the and, and Cyprians. And, uh, and why was the Holy Ghost doing that through the apostolic college? as a way of confirming all these various nations are there in their richness, in the richness of their culture, and in the richness of their language. You notice I think it's what they Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Many committed Christians hold to this axiom. If it's in the Bible, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, here you go. 1 Timothy 2 states the following about women as related to church life. No braiding the hair, no gold jewelry, no pearls. Just learn in silence and do not teach. Does your pastor comply with these biblical instructions? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, an unpleasant fact. Many self-proclaimed Bible-only churches, sadly, will pick and choose what parts of the Bible are implemented in the life of the church. Secondly, Catholic catechism. Be especially attentive to, quote, the content and unity of the whole scripture. And thirdly, a tough comeback. In order to understand the sacred author's intention, we must take into account culture, audience, and the literary genre. So if your Bible-only church does not strictly obey those instructions, then tell me the reason why. Well, we know... You know, 80% of your church is handled by women. So with those instructions in force, many women will leave your church, maybe even the pastor's wife. Ouch. I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. No, I didn't want to give up sin. I mean, the reason we sin is because sin is fun. But it's, it's self-love sin. But it's amazing with God's grace how easy trying to not sin it really is. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Languages were not abolished. In fact, the Holy Ghost speaks to them within their own language. As almost a nod and a respect of the third person to the fact that you are precious in, you, in God's eyes as Romans, as Greeks, as Egyptians, as Parthians. Um, by uniting yourself in him, it doesn't mean that you are to abandon these things because it is his will by having let you be born in these nations, that you flourish in these nations, and that they continue to exist. Um, so from the very first moments of the birth of the Catholic Church, we have this respect of of nations and and borders, which our Lord certainly do. And by the way, you did mention the Holy Family went into Egypt um, almost as asylum seekers, and the Church always uh, welcomes into her bosom those who are suffering, especially under the unjust laws of nations. Uh, That's very different than immigrants coming into a country illegally and flagrantly violating its borders for no other reason than they want a free cell phone. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so funny you say that, Father, care. because we have recently stopped allowing asylum people, asylum seekers from uh, Cuba, but we had leave the doors wide open for people to come over through Mexico. And I think that's very interesting uh, to see that kind of dichotomy. And I think the reason, in my opinion, is 
because Cubans tend to be anti-communist and those who come from South America tend to lean more into the liberation theology, uh, despite the fact that many of them are Catholics. I, I do. I recently have been kind of on a obsession, one might say, I guess maybe an interest on the, the idea of rights and duties. And so it's very interesting to see the language of the, the, the compendium saying that a nation has a fundamental right to exist. And to me, that says there must be a corresponding duty if there is a right there. And so that duty, I would imagine, and you, I would like to see your thoughts, Father, is to say that we have to, that the nation thus has a duty to enforce its borders, to, to create a distinction of themselves from others. Absolutely right. Uh, because, I, I, in fact, uh, obligations or, or rights do stem from obligations. If a nation does exist, its whole purpose is to defend the common good of the citizens that are born in that nation. And that, and, and, and the first thing is to protect it from uh, in, not, intruders just as its other primary obligation is to defend it from external enemies as well as internal enemies. Um, and, and, and that's what it governs best when it governs least. But one of the things that it does in, as part of its government is to maintain the good of its people that are existing there. And and this is the reason why it has to defend the borders, just it would, as it would be insanity to simply allow the communist Chinese to take over our country. Mm. I don't think even the most woke person would have a difficulty with that. But similarly, it is as grievous, uh, grievous a, a crime against the common good to allow illegal immigrants into this country to disrupt the rhythms of the common good, which are first to be given to its citizens. Now, Father, you kind of hinted towards the principle of subsidiarity there for a second when you said that we have a the, the nation has a duty to take care of its own citizens. And I might add to, to what you said there, own citizens first, and then we can always go out and see if we can help others. Uh, but we should always, it would be kind of like if, a, if the father of a house decided to go help the homeless but left their kids destitute in their home. Uh, what say you about the principle of subsidiarity in regards to this? Sure, and that is part of unlocking the secret of holy charity. We are uh, under the demands of subsidiarity, which are the, the lower agency, is always to be doing those things that it can do without the interference of a higher agency. And, and so, therefore, the family has a, a, a right and an obligation, the father, to take care first of his own. He may pity the poor in Haiti. He may pity the suffering in Ukraine. Um, he may abhor the subjugation of peoples in North Korea, but his first obligation is to take care of his family. And if he were ever to go, let us even say, to, a, to, to do pro-choice work, excuse me, pro-life work, uh, but and, and at the expense of that pro-life work, be neglecting the uh, spiritual and physical welfare of the family, that would be his, his pro-life work would therefore become a sin. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. And the same thing would, would apply to a nation if we neglect our own people exactly. in order to help others. It would be a disaster. Now, I think many people would be shocked, and I was kind of surprised, honestly, when I was reading your article, and you quote JP2 here, and I want to read it in its entirety here. JP2 in 2001 said, 
highly developed countries are not always able to assimilate all those who immigrate and that while the church strongly affirms the right to immigrate, certainly the exercise of such a right is to be regulated because practicing it indiscriminately may do harm and be detrimental to the common good of the community that receives the migrant. Now, there's a lot there to unpack. But one thing that stood out to me was him saying are not always able to assimilate, implying that that is an obligation of the people who are coming in is that they have to assimilate to the country. Yes. And they can put their, the fidelity to their former country above fidelity to the nation itself. So we see this often in California um, and other places in the country where immigrants are pledging fealty first to the country from which they have emigrated and almost hold this country in, in, dis, in disrepute. Um, uh, no, once they come here, they have fidelity to this country. Not abandoning the the beautiful customs of their former country, which the church cherishes and wants them to. Um, growing up in an Italian family, um, we cherished all the great traditions of uh, our, our Italian forefathers. Um, but we were Americans first, and we knew that. And and this is why the reason why so many of the immigrants the, uh, in, in the past. Had, uh, were the greatest warriors for this nation in both world wars because they understood this order, this order of charity, which, again, um, Pope John Paul II is, is point. I'm sorry, Father, I lost you there for a second. Uh, are you there? Oh, Father, uh, we're going to try to get you back on, and we'll just uh, carry on for just a moment, and maybe you can um, dial back out or hang up and call back in. That would be very grateful, or... Maybe Taylor can uh, drop you and then put you back on. But I think it's interesting as well. In the article from Father St. Thomas is quoted here saying, Augustine says, since one cannot do good to all, we ought to consider those chiefly who by reason of place, time, or any other circumstance, by a kind of chance, are more closely united to us. And this is essentially what we were talking about a second ago about the principle of subsidiarity, that we have to take care of those around us before we can go out and take care of other people. And to fail to do so would be a grave problem. And we kind of see this right now with the whole situation with uh, with the with Ukraine, right? We're sending billions of dollars to Ukraine. And meanwhile, American businesses are suffering and American uh, people are suffering. So many homelessness and so much uh, need here. And yet we are giving money off to other people. And I think that's a very big concern. Uh, Father, we dropped you for a second. Uh, you're back on. Uh, would you like to finish your thought there? Uh Oh, yes, I was making the point that uh, the, the church respects man's intellect, man's reason. That's why the Roman Catholic faith is reasonable. Um, the, it, sometimes the mysteries of the faith stand above reason, but never, Adrian, against reason. Mm. Never contra uh, ratione, but super ratione. Um, once we are given a mystery of the faith, we could never have arrived at that on our own because it is a mystery. But once given the mystery, we're able to explore its richness with our intellectual ability. And this is what shines forth in John Paul II's writings. That's what he was trying to put across in Fides et Ratio. We have to use truth, which is obtainable by the intellect, and, and then apply it to uh, individual contingent circumstances. 
And that's why his teaching rings out with such clarity. And we have about just two minutes left in our conversation. In the last couple minutes we have here, I did want to bring up, because you cite this here, and I think this is interesting. You met, you said, quote, clerics are doing a great injustice to justice by treating illegal immigration as though it were an article of faith, end quote. Would you like to expand on that? Well, well of course, it's jubilant. What we talked about at the very beginning of our conversation, it's, it's uh, giving Catholics a bad conscience. It's um, allowing Catholics to think that the, the very elements of common sense, that one protects oneself and one protects one's a nation against intruders, is somehow flawed and wrong and maybe even sinful, which permits them to simply be allies in chaos, Adrian. So that many Catholics will walk in the cities of, of New York today, which are filled with illegal immigrants and crime and danger. And a Catholic actually thinks, because a cleric has spoken in favor of illegal immigration, that they should be comfortable with this? Mm. See, that's instilling a bad conscience in Catholics. That is sin against justice. And um, that's scandalous. And you know what our Lord said about clerics or anyone who gives scandal to little ones, Adrian. Amen. Amen, Father. I think that's very important because to bind someone's conscience to something that is not <laughs> is not sinful is itself a, a grave, grave evil. If I had told someone, oh, yeah, don't you know, it's it's gravely sinful to eat chocolate. And now the person is uh, is very scrupulous about being around chocolate. Oh, I've done a great injustice to that person. And I think this is the case with the topic of immigration. So many good Catholics are struggling with themselves knowing Oh, you know, I, I don't really support illegal immigration because it's clearly not good, but the church demands that I hold to this. So now they're having a crisis of conscience that is not necessary. Uh, but, Father, we're just about out of time. Uh, would you like to, could you please give us your blessing? Oh, yes. And he gave God for some people to say, Father, it's video, song to send us super sports with money and Man, thank you very much, Father. God bless you. God love you. And thank where can you, people uh, keep up to date with whatever you're putting out? Well, I, I do have a website, F, uh, fatherjohn.com. F-R-J-O-H-N. I'm sorry, not, no, it's fatherpericone.com. <laughs> fatherpericone.com. P-E-R-R-I-C-O-N-E. Pericone.com. Yes, and that's abbreviated Thank you very much, Father. God bless you. God love you. And have a blessed day. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. of this whole community. Today we celebrate the memorial of St. Paul of the Cross. 
The intention for today's Mass is for those joining us on Guadalupe Radio online and those here present. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. Come, brethren, follow where our captain trod, our king victorious, Christ the Son of God. Lift high the cross, the love of Christ proclaim, till all the world adore his sacred name. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. May the priest St. Paul, whose only love was the cross, obtain for us your grace, O Lord, so that urged on more strongly by his example, we may each embrace our own cross with courage. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. Brothers and sisters, what can we say about Abraham found, our ancestor according to the flesh? Indeed, if Abraham was justified on the basis of his works, he has reason to boast. But this was not so in the sight of God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. A worker's wage is credited not as a gift, but as something due. But when one does not work, yet believes in the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So also David declares the blessedness of the person, to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not record. The word of the Lord. I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. Blessed is he whose fault is taken away, whose sin is covered. Blessed the man whom the Lord imputes not guilt, in whose spirit there is no guile. I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. Then I acknowledge my sin to you, my guilt I covered not. I said, I confess my faults to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my sin. I turn to you, Lord, in the time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, you just. Exult, all you upright of heart. I turn to you, Lord, in time of trouble, and you fill me with the joy of salvation. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. May your kindness, O Lord, be upon us, who have put our hope in you. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. <clears throat> A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, so many people were crowding together that they were trampling one another underfoot. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, Beware of the leaven, that is, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the darkness will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but after that can do no more. I shall show you whom you shall fear. Be afraid of the one who, after killing, has the power to cast into Gehenna. Yes, I tell you, be afraid of that one. Are not five sparrows sold for two small coins? Yet not one of them has escaped the notice of God. Even the hairs of your head have been counted. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. In that letter to the Romans, Paul is unfolding that understanding of faith, that we are justified by grace through faith. So he points out that Abraham was justified by faith. It was credited to him as righteousness because he believed. And faith is the substance of things hoped for, the proof of things unseen. The fact that it's the substance of things hoped for means because we have received that gift of, of faith as a grace, that gift of faith that has been given to us by God, we already have something of its promise within us. 
We don't have the fullness of that. That will receive when we get to heaven, of course, because then we won't need faith. But the substance of faith, of the things that are hoped for, are already within us. And we, especially every time we receive the Eucharist, that promise of God is renewed and grows. But it's also the proof of things unseen. Because we believe, well, we don't always see everything. That's the, otherwise, we wouldn't need faith. If we saw, we wouldn't need faith. But the fact that we don't see, is, uh, and, and yet we have, we have faith that we believe, is already, in a way, a proof to the world of its existence. This touches upon the gospel today, something that Jesus says. There is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, nor secret that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the darkness will be heard in the light, and whatever you whispered behind closed doors will be proclaimed on the housetops. I think we could look at this in two different directions. The first is we, we might be, at first, at first thought, think about something negative. I remember my home pastor, he, he was a convert from, uh, from Protestantism, and his, his parents never, never converted. But his mom told him one, something one time. He used, to, he used to call her the Wicked Witch of the West, but uh, I think because she was very hard on, you know, she's just a very hard person. But um, when all the scandals came out in the church, she, she said to her son, who was a priest at that time already, she says, this must be the true church of God because God will, has to purify it if it, has, if it is unclean, if there's any sin. So those things that happen in secret will then, of course, will brought out all over the media and everywhere else. In a way, they have to be. Because if it is God's church, that holy, spotless bride without, without a spot or wrinkle, then God is going to purify that. He's going to purify his church. And so that's anything that is secret will somehow become known. Just give it time. But the other, the other side of it is our good deeds are the same way. That we can only hide them so long. Then they will shine. We can't hide our light under a bushel basket. No, it is there for a lamp to see. I think somebody like St. Paul of the Cross understood this. That he went through many, many sufferings. 50 years of sufferings in his life. And all of that, all of those sufferings and difficulties, the cross that he, that he bore, eventually has to radiate from our countenance. The kindness that we show to others. The gentleness that is in our eyes and even in our face. The good deeds that we do somehow begin will, will shine from us. When I was a pastor in Most Holy Trinity in Phoenix, I remember this one family, I just got there, and this one family sort of introducing themselves to me. And their mom had, was really kind of a, a very, very saintly, saintly woman. But they told me the story that one day their dad brought, them, brought all the kids together into the kitchen. He says, I have something to tell you. Your mom is seeing somebody. Every Friday morning, early in the morning, there's a car that comes by and it stops in front of the house, 3 a.m. And she walks out of the house, you know, doesn't make any sound. And then she comes back about 5 a.m. Well, he, he, was, what he, he knew what she was doing. She was going to adoration. <laughs> you know, their good deeds cannot be hidden for too long. It shines forth, you know. So with, with that, well, let us take great comfort brothers and sisters, that if we do that which is good, if our faith really is deeply rooted within us, it will shine like a light for the world 
that cannot be hidden for long. And we have nothing to be afraid of. The Lord says, do not be afraid. Every hair of our head is known by God. We are worth more than many sparrows. Let our light shine before men. And may we take up our cross each day and follow Jesus. Amen. Let us bring our prayers before our Heavenly Father. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for the Synod in Rome. It will continually be directed by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who govern us, that they be, be concerned not only for the needs of their own nations, but for all, especially the most vulnerable, to always respect life. Let us pray to the Lord. For the end of war and violence and hatred and division, we especially pray for those for the, uh, in the Holy Land, in Palestine, and also in the Ukraine. Let us pray to the Lord. that we may be the light of the, of the world and the salt of the earth. Let us pray to the Lord. For all of our intentions, for those joining us online, through Guadalupe Radio, all those who, whom, who have asked us to pray for them, let us pray to the Lord. Finally, let us pray for all those who have died, for the holy souls in purgatory, that they may rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we bring you our prayers and petitions this day, confident that you hear and answer us according, according uh, to uh, hear and answer us, answer our prayers according to your holy will through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Look upon the sacrificial gifts we offer, Almighty God, in commemoration of St. Paul of the Cross, and grant that we who celebrate the mysteries of the Lord's Passion may imitate what we now enact through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. 
It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For in the marvelous confession of your saints, you make your church fruitful with strength ever new, and offer us sure signs of your love. And that your saving mysteries may be fulfilled, their great example lends us courage, their fervent prayers sustain us in all we do. And so, Lord, with all the angels and saints, we too give you thanks, as in exaltation we acclaim. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you, by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world, for by your cross and resurrection you have set us free. Therefore, o Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray, upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. 
may he make of us an eternal offering to you, so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Paul of the Cross, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who were pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow in the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. And graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer to the sign of peace. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us peace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy. You should enter under my roof. But only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Lord Jesus, I adore Thee for the bread of worth untold, freely given in Thy communion, wonderful a thousandfold, given today in loving bounty, more than my poor heart can hold. Let us pray. O God, who in St. Paul have wonderfully made known the mystery of the cross, graciously grant that, drawing strength from this sacrifice, we may cling faithfully to Christ and labor in the church for the salvation of all, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, et spes nostra salve. A te clamamos, exules filii hebe, a te suspiramos. Gementes et flentes, in hoc lacrimarum vale. Ea ergo, St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. 
And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Transmitting the treasures of our Catholic faith to your radio every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul.